Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. Hi, everybody. Robert Evans here, and my novel, After the Revolution, is available for pre-order now from akpress.org. Now, if you go to akpress.org, you can find After the Revolution. Just Google akpress.org, After the Revolution. You'll find a list of participating indie bookstores selling my book. And if you pre-order now from either of these independent bookstores or from AK Press, you'll get a custom signed copy of the book, which I think is pretty cool. You can also pre-order it in physical or in Kindle form from Amazon or pretty much wherever books are sold. So please Google AK Press after the revolution um, or find an indie bookstore in your area and pre-order it. You'll get a signed copy and you'll make me very happy. Oh, welcome back to what is either Behind the Dollop or Dollop the Bastards, a podcast that no matter what name we choose for it is about tickling. Thank Absolutely. You. This yes. finally is. is. That's how you make us feel at home. Thank mm-hmm. you. Do you think anyone has ever tickled Kissinger? Uh, I can't imagine. I cannot picture it in my head. I can, this is the way he would laugh. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Stop it. I'm going to wet my pants. Uh, not my pants. That might makes me want to feet. kill. I, it just try to imagine him whispering into the ears of a sexual partner something like I'm about like to finish. <laughs> I'm about to finish. I'm going to, you know, it'd be more like, I'm going to end this. <laughs> say, say I'm a, this say brinksmanship I'm a burned corpse. Cannot say continue. I'm a burned corpse. 
Only one of us makes it out alive. <laughs> I actually did while we were taking a break in between episodes. I, I had a moment where I actually did for the first time in my life. I felt a profound sense of solidarity with Henry Kissinger. My cat is, is named Saddam Hussein. And as I was feeding him during the break, I realized, like Kissinger did at one point, he's gotten much bigger. Saddam has gotten much larger than I ever thought he would. You know, this yeah. is, I did not anticipate this. Yeah. Well, that's because you named him Saddam. Yeah, there's that a is. lot to love in what you just said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kissinger and I both made the same mistake. <laughs> oh. So uh, I guess let's uh, let's uh, let's get get right back down. Let's this party. Whole, what is for Kissinger memory lane, and it is what for everyone else is Nightmare Avenue. Uh. Um, because this is the story about why Vietnam lasted a, an extra half decade. Uh. Um. Good times. We're going to have a fun one here. So one of the many downsides of an intellectual upbringing like the one Henry Kissinger experienced is that he spent a lot of time surrounded by people you might call political technologists. Now, this is a term I first heard in Ukraine from civilians describing Paul Manafort. That's what they called them, political technologists. Oh, that's where I heard it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. These like hired guns who come in and help Anybody who just happens to, like, have government money, like, right. do literally anything, right? Um, they're guys like his mentor, Professor Elliot, uh, and, like, Harvard economist Thomas Schnelling, who advised powerful elected leaders. And, like, they, they all of the, the way in which they think about the mechanisms of government are very mathematic and inhuman, right? Um, those are the people that Kissinger patterns himself off of. Now – Schnelling, who or Schelling, who we just Thomas Schelling, who's a Harvard economist we just introduced, was one of Kissinger's other mentors. Um, and Schelling, at the same time as he's he's working at Harvard and mentoring Kissinger, is advising the Eisenhower administration on moral calculus in the early stages of the Cold War. Schelling argues moral that moral calculus, moral calculus. Oh, yeah, have you never yeah. have you never talked about that with anybody? Uh, is me? that not a common conversation? No, no, for you? sorry, no. I mean, I was terrible at calculus, but uh, I was always moral. So, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, wow. you can't be moral and no calculus, which is why you know, like right. Pol Pot, I'm going to eventually set all of my listeners after people who know math. Um, right. That's that's the <laughs> end goal of this oh, podcast. I'll be right there. How yeah. many did we get? We're not sure, sir. <laughs> yeah. No idea. No clue, It's impossible sir. to say. It's a, yeah. No way. Incalculable. People keep trying to tell us, and we just kill them, add them to the pile. Yeah, someone had two numbers, but we were unable to, we can't negotiate it. Yeah. So, uh, Schelling is advising the Eisenhower administration on moral calculus in the Cold War. And Schelling's argument is that whether you were, quote, deterring the Russians or your own children, the proper tactic was to figure out the right ratio of threat to incentive. What? So, <laughs> already, Schelling might be the quickest I've ever described a person and had it be clear, like, well, that's a bastard. That's like, a, that's a that's piece of shit. Uh, yeah. That's not okay, obviously. Yeah. So since I have no human feelings, I have to figure out this and children and murderers are the same. Yeah. Children in the Soviet government only understand one thing. Threats. Can I have more ice cream, Dad? Put your hand in the drawer and find out. Uh, No. There you go. I'm going to tell you something, Jimmy. You go for that ice cream. I have a loaded 38 on the table. Now, one of the chambers is empty, Jimmy. So if you get that ice cream, I'll just go to maybe bed. the hammer I'll, goes I'll go down to on the empty I'll just chamber. Go to bed. I just want to go to bed. I don't like dessert. There you go. Honey, honey so, I just feel like moral calculus is not the way to go with the ice cream. Yeah. 
Maybe, maybe you could just say no if you don't want him to have dessert. Any dad can say no. I'm learning. Yeah. So while Henry was teaching at Harvard, and this is before he gets, we ended the last episode on him getting that gig with the Council on Foreign Relations, writing about nuclear policy. Right. In the period before that, when like Schelling is his mentor, Henry learns a lot from him. And he walks away from their relationship with the belief that, quote, bargaining power comes from the capacity to hurt, to cause, quote, sheer pain and damage. Jesus fucking Christ. You're just kind of waiting for this person to step into the vacuum, essentially, right? Like you're waiting for someone to be like, you know, there's actually a bottom that's under the bottom. You're like, oh, oh, my Lord. It's like this shit, like if that were true, we're all watching this situation unfold between Russia and Ukraine where you've got like a lot of people with the ability to hurt a lot of people on both sides. And you know what? It doesn't seem like negotiations are going great. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, not really. Maybe that's not a good basis to proceed from anything with. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Um, I just, I can't believe that it's, it's the craziest fucking idea. It's nuts. It's not, it's not negotiating. Yeah. You, you go into negotiations. You're like, I'm probably not going to get what I want. We're going to try and get the best we can. And he's just like, how much can I fucking hurt you? And There's what will a, you give me? If you spend enough time, like I do around like, gun culture people on the right in particular. There's these folks who like usually have never done anything like in the military themselves, but they read a bunch of like books by Navy SEALs and shit. And they'll say shit like, you should have a plan to kill everyone in every room you walk into. And like their frame is that like the world's dangerous. You got to be ready. And I think any reasonable person is like, well, you are someone who should not have a gun. Absolutely. You should (laughs) not have a gun. You you are out of your entire damn mind. (laughs) Yeah. This is a guy who should never be negotiating. Yeah. Absolutely. Not <laughs> ready to kill someone is like, but you know what? Don't go into rooms. No, That's just going to be no. your thing. You know, <laughs> don't you go stay anywhere. Stay in your house. You go to one room. Yeah. You know, I I could I could tear your throat. I could come reach across the table, tear your throat out, and stab you in the eyes with ice picks. So okay. I'm just uh, we're just talking about what he what just price wants ice cream, is. Dan. He just <laughs> asked you for some ice cream, Dan. <laughs> So Henry gets his gig at the uh, at the CFR. And so he's the thing he's he's producing for the Council on Foreign Relations for his his buddy, the Rockefeller. It's supposed to be like a report on how the U.S. is it like it should use nuclear weapons, different ways in which like they could approach it. Right. And while he's writing this report, because it's it's with this thing, takes a very, very long process getting this out. He also starts working privately on a book of his own titled Nuclear Weapons and Foreign Policy. And this book is a version of the stuff he wants to write in this thing he's like fighting to get out with the CFR. Yeah, kind of. But also, it's it's actually very smart what he does. Well, it'll take us a second to get there. So this book that Kissinger writes, that's his like own project, criticizes U.S. threats of full nuclear scale nuclear attack in response to Soviet aggression. Niall Ferguson sums it up in this way, quote, with his skill for simplifying and expressing complex ideas, Kissinger put the issue starkly. The dilemma of the nuclear period can, therefore, be defined as follows. The enormity of modern weapons makes the thought of war repugnant, but the refusal to run any risks would amount to giving Soviet rulers a blank check. Kissinger's conclusions were not original. The study group at the council was almost unanimous in its desire to find some alternative to Eisenhower's stated policy, and many defense intellectuals, most notably Bernard Brody and Basil Little Hart, had also written on the subject of limited nuclear war. Kissinger's book demonstrated his talent as a creative synthesizer of their ideas, drawing out the implications of their work and arguing that for America's Cold War diplomacy to have any real substance, the U.S. had to accept the possibility of the limited use of nuclear weapons. That 
Kissinger's own solution of limited nuclear war was also highly problematic was less important to many contemporary observers than that it broke free from the straitjacket of the Eisenhower administration's policy. So, but where... Does he describe like where you would use it? Is like a, is it like a tactical battlefield? Yeah, nuke? Is it- yeah. It's like to, to win battlefield victories. To like in in Vietnam, he will briefly flirt. Well, not even all that briefly, but he will consider using nuclear weapons to cut off train access between Vietnam and China. <laughs> like, which is isn't there, insane. Like, isn't like <laughs> as as a layman. You, you can cut off trains in another way. <laughs> Presumably, right? right? I mean, I've seen the general with Buster Keaton. You can throw some yeah. logs on it. <laughs> there, there are these other things called bombs, just bombs yeah. Yeah. that would so blow you up the train. You know what they are, Kissinger. So, yeah. yeah. So it, it really, I mean, it is kind of just itchy trigger finger. And it is like, if you live in the realm of this sort of dark thinking, how are you not going to start You know, thinking of ways that are just even more... Vicious, brutal. Well, he's basically saying we they need to think we're a chained mad dog. Right. Yeah. And if we it, you let the dog off the leash once and he attacks the postman and then and then everyone's going to fucking know. Go, then you don't, don't get the mail yard. anymore. Yeah. But we, <laughs> yeah then, already, then you stop receiving your mail. Ju- We've bombed Japan already. Like, everyone gets it. Yeah, We're already right. out of our fucking minds. Right. Of course. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. It's not like it's this theoretical weapon that's never been used, Henry. Yeah. But and it, it, like, it's also... And it, and it worked pretty well as far as making people be like, God damn, they are out of their minds. Yeah, these people are crazy. <laughs> Holy shit. Um, but it, it's also... There's a there's a, a factor here. I, a part of me wonders if he even really believed about this or cared about whether or not nukes should be used tactically. And if it was more a matter of... This is a big debate of the day. And if I publicly uh, take the most contrarian thing, intellectuals who don't really care about what works, but who care about who's thinking creatively, like, right? Like, that's right. the thing. He's like, well, it's not about whether or not his plan would work. It's about we're getting out of this straitjacket Eisenhower's put us in. And it's like, right. no, that's not all that matters. Finally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you, know, you, you know what's really funny, uh, what just I- ironic about this is uh, that- Funny's like, fun. Places like the Heritage Foundation for years have been have been saying that Putin would use uh, tactical battlefield nukes, and that's why he's unhinged. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons. Yeah, can you imagine someone a, doing like that? It's, it's, I would it's, say it's, anyone who would do that is crazy. Yeah, yeah. imagine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, and I'll keep him on as an advisor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That I, I that that's my feeling on nukes. Um, don't shoot them at people ever. Yeah, it's yeah, bad. they seem bad. I mean, <laughs> they I seem just... bad. Uh, maybe an Independence Day kind of situation. I'll be honest. When I watch yeah. Independence Day, I think, yeah, I might shoot some nuke. I might at that point yeah, try yeah. a nuke or two. You yeah, know? but you have Randy yeah. Quaid. I do. I I, I do hang out with him a lot. Yeah. Um, that, that's my main <laughs> plan if things go wrong. Randy, uh... get in the plane. <laughs> <laughs> he lives in my basement. <laughs> <laughs> that actually tracks from the Instagram videos I've been seeing. <laughs> so Kissinger's book was published in 1957, and it almost immediately sold 17,000 copies, which is a lot for a wonky book on nuclear warfare. Yeah. It is on the New York Times bestseller list for 14 weeks. Wow. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's not great. Now, his timing is perfect. He puts this book out right as the Soviets make two big advances in Hungary. There's like a, a, a revolution that they kind of crush. And then in the Suez, where like the brings the British and the French are like fucking around in the Suez Canal and the Soviets are like, stop or we'll do something bad. And NATO like 
backs the fuck off, right? So the Soviets have like two big kind of foreign policy wins in this period. And Americans can't look at this as like, well, you know, maybe fucking NATO shouldn't have been fucking around in the Suez. And yeah, that shit in Hungary's fucked up, but like maybe we can't do anything about it. They're like, we should listen to the guy who says, what if we'd nuked them? You know, These like colors that, don't <laughs> run. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> where people go, right? Um, they don't, they, they're they Americans. They don't yeah. take the rational route. <laughs> no, they, no, they hate us for our nuclear freedom. <laughs> yeah, they listen to the craziest person in the room about this. That's right. <laughs> There's a lot of things that you could say about both what happened in Hungary and the Suez crisis that are not why don't we use nukes more often? But sure. by God, <laughs> Kissinger knows his audience, you right, know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Kissinger writes this book in the New York Times in their review of it, right? For the first time since President Eisenhower took office, officials at the highest government levels are displaying interest in the theory of the little or limited war. The theory of massive retaliation is re-examined. I, I love uh, that those are th that those go together. Those are the it's, options. Yeah. And then yeah. it's like the little war <laughs> is the nuclear war. Like mm -hmm. sh it's the baby war for us. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Hear me out. Hear me out. Baby nukes. Little mm -hmm. tiny nukes. Well, yeah. It's it's like if someone's like, look, we got to decide if one of which of these is going to be legal. Sarin nerve gas bombs for civilians. Or, uh, or or chlorine gas bombs for civilians. One type of poison gas bomb has to be legal. Like we all, we have to have access. Everyone has to be able to have one kind of poison gas. Less Two filling. is crazy. Tastes <laughs> great. What if nobody has those? Oh God. But that's not you know that's not where things go here. Um, so President Eisenhower is given a summary of uh, of Kissinger's book because you know he's the president. They don't they don't read books. Yeah, it's the um, cliff notes. He get, yeah, he gets a cliff notes <laughs> and he recommends it to his Secretary of State John Foster Dulles, uh, who we have talked about quite a lot oh, on the God. show. Oh God, yeah. I mean, if, <laughs> who like if if he's the rational mind. <laughs> If, if Dulles is being like, this dude seems a little that, out of his that's mind. That's a big problem. That's, yeah, that's not great. Because yeah. John Foster Dulles, fucking lunatic. Yeah. yeah. Complete lunatic. Yeah. Uh, so the vice president at this point is a little dude you might have heard of called Richard Milhouse Nixon. Uh, he gets photographed with a coffee, copy of Henry Kissinger's book, which is... Not great. Oh. I mean, it's actually great foreshadowing. This if is you're not like a writing book. a screenplay. This is great. Yeah, really. This right. is like season one of the Nixon Show, and you just like see him with Kissinger's book. But right, we right, Kissinger. yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Good television, you know. Yeah. So the the book is successful enough that it provokes Rockefeller, who'd gotten him the job at the CFR, to rush out the report that Nixon had been or that Kissinger had been making. Um, and Jesus yeah, Christ. yeah, the report from the CFR concludes the willingness to engage in nuclear war when necessary is part of the price of our freedom. Wow. I mean, the price of our I mean, freedom is pretty goddamn pricey, isn't it? That it, seems it expensive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, man. How can we, yeah. how can we live if we're not dead? Yeah. How yes. can we live without nuclear fallout? It's, it's, <laughs> and it's amazing that it like, it all like I if it was part of his plan or not, like you said, the timing is just pretty remarkable to release this book. Mm -hmm. And then it actually shifts the way that they view this. To be yeah. Like, you know, it's actually he's got a really good point in his best selling book about how nukes are cool. <laughs> how nukes are sweet. <laughs> you know, I, I am. I am excited for Ben Shapiro's book on the same subject right. to lead to the annihilation oh, of all life soon. on Earth. Can't yeah. wait. I'm going to live underground soon. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good idea. So this report is is a weird, like weirdly popular. Like again, this is a, a report from the uh, the the center or the, the, from the CFR, uh, from the Council on Foreign Relations, which is like 
not you don't expect that to go viral right you know like, right. Well, not, not, have like, you read I'm, this pamphlet have you read this, <laughs> this lengthy <laughs> study by the cfr yeah i mean america um, never lets you down when you're like oh that won't happen no that that's won't what get, happens that won't go yeah big. right it does yeah so rockefeller actually goes on the today show to talk about this report the cfr oh wrote with, like with kissinger fuck? i know it's what amazing an amazing macaroni casserole so yeah. next <laughs> <laughs> so he gives people on the Today Show an address where they can write for a copy of this oh, report. No, they get forty-five thousand requests the first day and no. two hundred thousand oh requests God. the next. God, <laughs> Hell's post office oh. is overwhelmed. Yeah, the media, the U.S. media, call oh. this report "quote the answer to Sputnik," which is like, hey, the <laughs> Russians sent an sent an unarmed ball into space to further exploration. Uh, we should we this book about how everyone should be nuking everyone is the answer to that. We're thinking that this uh, report on nuclear weapons will actually show the Russians how to not go to space. Yeah, that space If you get rid of Russia, act. they can't go to space. Do you understand? Yeah. <laughs> and it is, it's worth noting, because I think like in our popular history, the answer to Sputnik is the Apollo missions, and it's framed That's as like right. this beautiful, which, you know, did eventually happen, but no, the first answer to Sputnik was a report about how we should be nuking well, each other more often. Yep, that's yes, a very... Should, I get, they, they put a ball in the orbit, so we should we should blow up St. Peter's. We should be ready to drop 13 <laughs> nuclear warheads on Berlin at a second's notice. That will show them. <laughs> Jesus, uh, what So the this fuck? makes Henry Kissinger famous. Um, he is all the, over the place uh, now. How? Yeah. This is his... This, <laughs> this is, is how he becomes famous. famous. Someone, like some guy... Some guys watch the t Today Show and he buys the book so he can tell everybody at the Elks look, Club that we need to use nukes. Someone this is what's happening? Give this accountant yeah. a soccer ball. Some people get famous <laughs> because their dad is one of O.J. Simpson's lawyers. Jesus. Some people get famous because they write a book about how nuclear warfare is not that bad. Uh -huh. You know? Uh -huh. It's just fame. It's a crapshoot. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, fuck. Ima I mean, imagine being an anti-nuke person at this point. You're just like, wait, what is what is going on? No, what I is have, you read, have you read the report? It's so good. Mm -hmm. We're going to show them if they, what, they should not be going to space. Yeah. Next time they put a satellite up, we're going to kill everyone in Paris. Way. What we need to do is a radiated country. <laughs> so on July 14th, 1958, Mike Wallace gives Henry Kissinger his first big break into the public sphere. So man, it really is. It really is just fucking disgusting because I, I go through this all the time on our show where I'm like, it is the same shit. But again, it's just media. Using mm -hmm. its platform it's irresponsibly mm -hmm. to yeah. normalize things that are fucking batshit. Yeah, oh, it's great. Like, <laughs> like 60 minutes having a, a fucking whole segment <laughs> yeah. on a, a, the Havana fucking yeah. sound. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, it's by not the way, real. Come on, Dave. You know that's real. I suffered from that for two years. Those crickets. <laughs> <laughs> oh man I, I i will say like the stupidest joke that i laugh at every time is yeah i got havana syndrome having another beer <laughs> never doesn't get a chuckle out of me uh, but we've we've done we've had 60 minutes come on 60 minutes did the uh the uh, satanic scare shit. With, oh yeah, um, so they were big. A lot Procter of satanic and Gamble, and, uh, like they yeah. they just run with ideas that are crazy. Yeah, there. I mean, because the, the, for for people who are at the level Mike Wallace is, the definition of journalist is not 
uh, afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. It's be a giant shithead. Yeah, right. <laughs> be, a, be a huge shithead. <laughs> man. Oh, man. So Mike Wallace introduces Henry Kissinger, the guy whose one achievement is a book about how nukes are cool, by saying this. In the field of foreign policy and military affairs, Dr. Kissinger, you're acknowledged to be one of the most penetrating minds in the country. Oh, he's penetrating. <laughs> yes. Penetrating like an Atlas missile penetrates the cloud yeah. cover above a city full of women and children. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> now, during the interview, Kissinger expressed that, quote, a capitalist society, or what is more interesting to me, a free society, is a more revolutionary phenomenon than 19th century socialism. I think we should go on the spiritual offensive. Yeah. So the spiritual, spiritual with capitalist? A nu- with a nuclear extension. With that, nukes, yes. You know, no, so, <laughs> so he's connecting... He he's connecting. You know capitalism the two options: nineteenth-century socialism or capitalism, or yeah. current-day capitalism, and yeah. nukes. <laughs> Those are the options. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Mike Wallace just empty-headedly sits there, and goes like, well, "I really love your property." Yeah, just smiles and behind his eyes is yeah. a dial tone. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> oh my God! So this earns him finally the job at Harvard that he'd coveted. This is why they give him shut, <laughs> shut the it fuck just, up. It like just whenever, is so simple. I, I can't. I cannot get over how fucking evil Harvard is. It's so good. It is monstrous from its, its beginning. Best. It is a horrific. Some fucking of us went place. there, asshole. <laughs> Uh, anti-harvard action so he gets his harvard job and he keeps writing in 1961 what's he doing at at harvard he's like teaching some shit you know kissinger stuff type classes yeah Yeah, Yeah, talking about spangler a lot yeah nukes nukes are awesome too nukes are awesome freedom is uh, requires an absence of morality teaching kids good stuff you know (laughs) teaching kids good things so in 1961 he publishes a book titled the necessity of choice which is his manifesto on how the united States should approach foreign policy in the 1960s. It is not an optimistic piece of writing. Quote, the United States cannot afford another decline like the one which has characterized the past decade and a half. Fifteen years of more of a deterioration of our position in the world, such as we have experienced since World War II, would find us reduced to fortress America in a world in which we had become largely irrelevant. Our margin of survival has narrowed dangerously. What in the fuck is he talking about? I mean, well, again, America is not losing influence so, that... No, this is like the height of American power, obviously, yeah. to anyone who's not. But but Kissinger is, he knows this is bullshit. He is part of a group of people who are pushing. Have you guys heard the term missile gap? No. no. In the in the early stages of the Kennedy administration, oh, there is suddenly this huge, and this is both like in conversations that people are having in D.C. and in like the media, there's this constant talk of a missile gap. This idea that the Soviets have outpaced us in missile development and in the number of missiles they have. And there's talk about like there's bomber gaps, there's tank gaps, there's talk about like these gaps between it's right. this idea that is totally bullshit. Like, yeah. not that the Soviets have not made a lot of weapons. Soviet right. Union makes plenty of weapons. But the United, there is no point in the Cold War in which the United States is like 
out fucking gunned to any degree that like has it could be anyone reasonable could call like a missile gap. I it mean, just uh, does not happen. I, it feels like we're still responding to that today yeah. to be like, do 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 first by a long shot. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's it's <sighs> it's this it's it's this it, it's not I, I would say unhinged, but it's very reasonable because the the argument comes primarily out of the defense department and the growing defense industry who it's great for them if everyone yeah. thinks there's a missile gap. Like, of course. Yeah. Yeah. You got to build a lot more weapons. We'll sell them to you. I thought it was the place you could get khakis on your yeah. rockets, but yeah, the missile. Gap. <laughs> Thank you. Thank You're you. You're welcome. Uh, we'll be right good. back. Was, Am I allowed to throw a question? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You know what? Yes, actually, this is time for an <laughs> oh, ad break. <laughs> So, you know, if you're looking for a way to dress up your R9X knife missile before firing it into some guy's car, um, Mm -hmm. check out the missile gap. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Mario Lopez here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit biotoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if people have learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. You think, what's the catch? But there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. You can use your own phone and bring your own phone number along with your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new 3-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com/behind. That's mintmobile.com/behind. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash behind. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. 
You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. We are back. So it's bullshit, the idea of the missile gap. Um, And Kissinger is smart enough to know this, but he is one of the major proponents. He's not one of the, there's other guys who are more influential pushing it like actually within the halls of power, right? Because he's not super within the halls of power yet. But he is, he's hes all over TV and shit. Like, he's a guy that you call now. Like, once you get in the Rolodex he's, of media people, you stay there, you know? He's the new guy. You want a, he's the you want new a, guy. a, a positive yeah. new guy. There's people that you got like the negative new guy and the yeah. positive new guy. He's the and positive he's the guy, guy who says, we don't have enough. You know, oh the thing we've God. ever not had enough of, nuclear weapons. Um, he is a big part of why we have so many fucking nukes. Um, and why the Russians have so many fucking nukes. Because once the U.S., like, once you start this, like, we have to build a lot more nukes, they're going to build even more nukes. And like, then you're going to get to build any more nukes because you can say they've built so many more nukes. We don't have enough nukes now. And I, then you I wind up an, with I like 12,000 of them in the world. I have a name for that. I can I'm, I'm coming up with it right now. Uh, nuclear arms race. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And that's that's a neat one. Um, we I'm should glad totally there's finally like, a term for it. We should nuke him. I mean, that would just be like the one thing I would. It we is should the just one use case. me to just nuke him. One of no, those we, Davy we, Crockett yes. handheld <laughs> missile launchers <laughs> with whatever, the nuke. Yeah, whatever it. we can do. What about just a little, a little tiny nuke that we mm-hmm. shoot into him and it explodes? But it's just a little guy, a yeah. little baby, just, nuke. just enough to take out Kissinger. Yeah, it's the Kissinger size nuclear weapon. Yeah. <sighs> but God. he would just ingest it and go, I am now more oh, powerful. Oh, now I am bigger mm-hmm. and I'm more upset. It is it is amazing to think about how seriously this guy gets treated by everyone immediately and how much influence he's allowed to have on an incredibly dangerous thing. And this is the same guy who got tricked by Theranos. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is the same dude who gets hoodwinked by the fake blood lady in the turtleneck. Like, it's really oh amazing. God. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny. <laughs> so uh, Kissinger oh is, is not, again, he doesn't come up with the idea of the missile gap, but he's like a very influential voice in pushing this idea, right? He's a, he's a part of this. Um, so he doesn't get there's if we could honestly do a whole episode on like why there's so many fucking nukes that this would be a part of. But he is he's a factor in this massive arms buildup. Um, and he also starts. Uh, but but he's also like he's he's just doing this for careerism reasons, because it like gets him in good with people who are in power. And part of how you know that is that Kennedy, not a guy I'll give a lot of credit to. But one of the things Kennedy says is that like limited nuclear war is insane. Like, right. <laughs> fuck you, Henry Kissinger. Um, he doesn't say that, but he it it, he, it it gets made clear the connections that Kissinger has in the in the Kennedy administration make it clear that like JFK does not buy your attitudes on limited nuclear war, and so okay. he stops talking about that. Oh my he wants god! To get, he wants to become part. He doesn't believe in shit, but he wants to be in the JFK administration, right? Wow. So he stops uh. pushing this thing that makes him famous and saying other shit because he'll get it'll get him closer to power, and that's all Henry Kissinger really cares about. Yeah. So I wonder if like the Today Show is calling up and he's like, "Yo, I'm not really doing nukes anymore." No, like, he just he... comes on. Well, yeah, actually, the quote. I'm going to quote actually from Niall Ferguson here. He explains like what he starts doing on the Today Show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Kissinger now advocated a conventional arms buildup, since the dividing line between conventional and nuclear weapons is more familiar and therefore easier to maintain. He continued to insist that the United States develop smaller nuclear weapons, but he moved his own position to where he thought Kennedy's was. In effect, the necessity of choice was something of a job application, and Kissinger hoped Kennedy would make an offer. So, like... Again, so doesn't believe I mean, shit. It really, is, I mean, it's it's just Marjorie Taylor Greene. I mean, it is the yeah. same shit essentially, and it's like you know the sensationalism that gets you the headlines, and mm-hmm. then once you're fa- and it's any, it's really any form of our our pop culture entertainment now. Just make get your name in the fucking headlines, and then define who you are, and then you can like figure out what you actually think and actually believe, or how you're going to ride that to power. But yeah. just make a bang. It's the it is it's it is like the political equivalent of a comedian like saying a racial slur and then listening to the audience to determine whether or not they're joking. Yeah, like right, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, that, like that's what he's doing. He's it's yeah, yeah. It's, you, I mean, show up to a club, take your dick out, and then write mm-hmm. your hour. Yeah, it's called the it's, it's uh, Louis C.K. backwards. <laughs> it's the it's the Casey. I'm not going to figure out what the back. No, you're is. close. It's Casey. It's Casey Sewell. It's Casey Sewell. Yeah. So this he does not get exactly what he wants, but he gets part of what he wants. He his buddy uh, Nelson Rockefeller is able to give him a part time consulting gig uh, for the National Security Advisor. So it's not, but it's not everything he wants. But he is now. He's he has like. He's yeah. cracked his He's way in, in, you know, like yeah. you, you start your way in and, and it's unless you really fuck up and by fuck up, I mean, don't get a lot of people killed. You'll just get closer and closer to power because right. that's how yeah. our system works. Um, so, you know, Kissinger is is obviously very conservative. Rockefeller is not. Again, he's part of the Kennedy administration. This is right? what I don't understand. But, yeah, well, I, we'll talk. We're actually we're going to talk a shitload about that over the next couple okay. of episodes because okay. this is like a consistent weird thing about him. Um, but like one of the things Kissinger does is he oils Rockefeller with effusive claims that K- Kennedy's inaugural speech, which Rockefeller had helped with, was so good he quote might become a registered Democrat. Right, uh, like that's the kind of shit he says that like I'm almost a Democrat now because of how good JFK's speech that was. was. So good. It like, was so, like uh, again, he doesn't believe in shit. Like right. he does, yeah, right. like, I can't overemphasize that. Other than that, Henry Kissinger should be very close to power. He believes strongly in that. Yeah. Um, and he believes in that biased. as much as anyone's ever believed in the Bible. Right. But, um, he does not believe in ideas. I'd outside like to of sing happy so birthday to the president if at all yeah. possible. <laughs> yeah. I saw what Marilyn did and let me tell you. It was sort of testament they, to lover Kennedy next Sometimes they me call me. Say. Happy birthday, Mr. President. <laughs> Would you like to see why they call me Kissinger? <laughs> oh, no, I'm standing over this vent and look at what they're doing to my sport coat. Oh. See, that's the fan art I want of Henry oh, Kissinger. Of oh, him that, just like yeah. trying to fuck JFK with every bit of charm in his German body. <laughs> oh, dear. Nobody told me Subway go over vent. Oh, look at this. You're going to see everything. Oh, there goes my nuke. (laughs) (laughs) So JFK is eventually assassinated by Bernard Montgomery Sanders and LBJ takes over. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, history is is a a, a banquet. Mm -hmm. Mm. I've got a pamphlet for you. I printed it home myself. That's my length. (laughs) (laughs) So LBJ is the president now. And and LBJ is like, between LBJ and JFK, it's like a decade, you know, that the Democrats are in power. And LBJ is very good at exercising power, right? Yes. Um, And he's also not super into Henry Kissinger. 
Um, he's not against Henry Kissinger either, but Henry kind of is kept in this weird, like he's on the margins of power during this period of time, right? Um, Finally, which <laughs> is breather. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, not really, because okay, while, he's, while he's, yeah, there's no breathers. There's okay, no cool. breathers, Gareth. Awesome. You know? yeah, yeah. Good to hear. <laughs> um, while he's kind of on the not, you know, on the margins, he, he's he's able to build connections with as many Republican lawmakers and their aides as he does with Democrats, right? Like that's what he's doing while he's doing these like part time gigs with the NSC and stuff. Is he's he's making friends with everybody he can there is so he's, nobody his, he's his, just his, a his fucking kind of, networker like yeah. he is just yeah. a supreme yeah. networker yeah right there is so much i had when i was a kid in speech and debate one of the other kids in the debate team with me was obsessed with kissinger like read his books and stuff Jesus thought he would Christ. and this was this thing that i heard too from like family members and stuff that like well he was you know he wasn't always right but it was he was doing the hardest job anyone's ever had. And he was just this really genius man. And you can't really argue with him if you read about what he was saying. And it's like, no, he didn't believe in shit. He was he was a genius at making people like him. And God. that yeah. allowed him He's to nuclear do a lot Manson. of horrible things. Yeah. Um, when, <laughs> which I guess like Manson. anyone who's really dangerous in politics is that's as a version of that guy, right? Yes. Like, yes. I mean, it's, 100%. They, yeah, like that's that's all of them. Um but he's he's a, an interesting kind of that guy. And as a result, probably the most toxic kind of that guy we've ever had in the United States. Wow. Um, which is saying something. I mean, we've really, had a really, lot of really bad Quite people in charge here. Yeah. Quite an honor. Um, but yeah. So, yeah, he, he makes all these connections. Um, he cultivates them and he keeps his name in the news. Right. That's a big part of why he's able to do what he does later. He's, he keeps going on TV, he keeps being on the radio, he keeps being quoted and like cited and interviewed by journalists for articles. Henry makes it known that, like, if you're a journalist, I'm easy to reach. I will give you always give you a quote. You can always reach Henry Kissinger for like a, a line or two on this thing, you know, right. um, which is very smart of him. Yeah. It's it's very dumb and shameful and uh, 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 horrible for the journalists. Uh, yes. who fuck them. But like, it's <laughs> great for learned. Henry. Yeah. Thank God yeah. that they've learned. Thank God that doesn't happen anymore. Yep. Now I turn to the New York Times story published today that described Nazis assaulting a book club as uh. men with a swastika flag. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Someone pointed out, well, the, the article calls them Nazis. It's just all of the social media. They describe them that way. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I, don't, I can't explain to you why I feel worse about that. But I do. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. not a, just an, it was not just a yeah. dumb error. It was calculated. Yeah. 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 Moral calculus. It's yeah. Moral calculus. Right. Good. Good shit. Um, so the professor cultivates connections. Yeah, he, he, he gets good. And he also, he goes to Vietnam at one point and he makes connections with a bunch of people in Vietnam who are able to talk to not just the South, but the North Vietnamese government. Like that's the thing he consciously does is like, I want to be able to like, be able to take the temperature of like guys, which is not like, I would say actually like the most reasonable thing he does. If you think you're going to be in power, like, yeah, it's good. You probably, you probably want to be able to talk to those guys, even though we're fighting with them. That's not an unreasonable but, thing. He will use it badly. Right. Who's he doing that on the part of? Just himself? Yeah. What? Well, he he is working. He has a gig with the guy. He's like an advisor to the National Security okay. Council, and he's okay. a known academic. You know, he's probably yeah. being like, you know, I'm I'm an academic. I'm trying to understand the dimensions of this, and like, I I want to talk to everybody. I'm a very fair minded okay. man. I don't let ideology get in the way. Yada yada yada. 
Um, like one of the things about Henry Kissinger too, like he's as good, he can, he's, he, he's fucking his buddies with Mao. Like he's great at talking with people who are communists and stuff. Right. As long as you like Henry Kissinger and what he's it's, selling, he'll sell it to anybody. Man. You know? <laughs> it's so crazy. It's wild that yeah, like. He, the, he, he could, must have <laughs> eyes that just start spinning and hit, like you yeah. just have to get close to notice that he's got hypnotic eyes. You're like, he isn't so bad now that I'm talking to him. <laughs> You know, let's think about Vietnam for a second, right? If you're going to war in Vietnam, Gareth, right? If oh you boy, decide, not a good I, idea. Gareth Reynolds, I'm going to go to war in Vietnam, how long do you think it would take you to realize that was a bad idea? It would be, uh, I mean, I, I, Gareth Reynolds, it would be yeah. instantaneous. Be Pretty very, quickly. Very quickly. I mean, the second now, that David, we start, yeah. <laughs> can I, okay, can I just, uh, can I ask a question? Which side am I fighting on? Uh, the, the not Vietnamese side. Okay, then really quick. Yeah, yeah, really quick. I feel like you could. I feel like you could. You could take Vietnam, David. Dave could. They're not going to see it coming. They're not going to see it coming. I, I would I, certainly be the guy who they'd be like, "We broke him. We broke him before we even shouted at him." I'd be like, "I'm sorry. I didn't mean to show up with pants that were already pissed in." I know. I know one thing about me, and that's that if things got really, really chaotic and bad, that I. I kind of thrive in that environment. <laughs> yeah, Dave, yeah, you'd be yeah. like, Dave, we don't have time to eat their brains. He'd be like, shut up, I'm figuring out what they know. <laughs> it's like Dr. Manhattan ending the Vietnam War. <laughs> <laughs> Both sides surrendered to Dave. In the mid-60s, which is fairly early on, considering how late the Vietnam War goes, it is clear to people, especially a lot of people protesting in the United States, they're like, oh shit, this ain't going great, right? right. Yeah. Like, it's not hard for people there are people who buy into the u.s propaganda but like people who are actually privy to information on the war are aware that it is not going well kissinger still decides we should escalate things uh and i'm going to quote again from kissinger's shadow by greg grandin upon returning from his first visit to south vietnam in late 1965 kissinger threw himself into a campaign to build public support for ongoing intervention in early december he joined 189 other scholars from harvard yale and 15 other new england universities in an open letter expressing confidence that john policies would help, quote, people of South Vietnam determine their own destiny. Oh. A Viet Cong victory will spell disasters, said the letter. Then, oh. later that month, he led a Harvard team against a group of Oxford opponents of the war in a debate held in Great Britain and broadcast nationally in the United States on CBS. Kissinger passionately defended the bombing of northern Vietnam, insisting that it was not a violation of international law. He invoked the analogy of World War II, saying Washington's actions in Indochina were as righteous and justified as they were in Nazi Germany. Bob Schroom, who went on to become a Democratic political consultant, was on Kissinger's team and says that when he today watches a recording of the, uh, the, of the debate, he is, quote, amazed by two things, how long we how young we look, even Kissinger, and how wrong we were. So first <laughs> off, Bob, Kissinger. you don't feel bad enough. I don't know how bad you feel about this. It's not enough. Your first reaction yeah. would be like, God, we were kids. We were young. We were young. There's like some Vietnamese dude next to him thinking about like bombs raining down on the jungle. And he's like, look at that. I didn't like, even have crow's uh, feet back then. Look at me. Look at Kissinger. Oh look my God, his jowls. Look at Hank. Yeah, he's only got one jowl at that time. That's before he got the eight. Our hair looked so stupid. Am I right? Am I right? Where did your legs go, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> it's before Henry Kissinger looked like Chet and Weird Science after things go wrong. <laughs> it's amazing. Like, and it's, it, it's, there's a lot in that paragraph, both that like, of course, when the debate starts to build, like, should we escalate this nightmarish war? 
the first thing, one of the first things that happens is that a bunch of fucking New England universities decide to have a debate about right, it. Yeah, right. Like, That's yeah, the right. Yeah. Like, right. let's let everyone here. Let's have the best arguments of both sides about whether it, it, or not the we should bomb these people. Minds. Yeah. Yeah. Like, first off, fuck everyone involved in this. Even the people arguing against the war a little bit. Like, just don't do that's well, bad. The premise. Yeah, the premise. The premise alone, is yeah. bad. Yeah. yeah. Um less so, certainly. I, I don't know. I I don't know. Maybe like it made sense. Here's at the a time. bunch of different. virgins debating yeah. which position is the best to fuck in. <laughs> yeah. Like, what the hell? Why is this a de- instead of the debate like, hey, why are we there? Like really? Yeah. Why? Why? Sorry, that's yeah. uh, we're not we we're not debating that. Uh, we're not that's asking not, that. That's not a yeah. question for the debate. And it, it is again. It's like the, 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 and, and you can see just about how comprehensively wrong these people are. That like number one, this idea that this will help the people of South Vietnam determine their own destiny, which like, is the just... South Vietnamese government was a dictatorship the entire time the war was going on. Right. It's not any more democratic in any meaningful sense than than the northern vietnam and also like a viet cong victory will spell disasters like there's plenty of things to criticize the vietnamese government for but like broadly on an international level it's fine the country seems seems to be doing all right like like better than a lot of places it's fine (laughs) yeah did a pretty good job at covid like you know it did it didn't seem like a, a disaster maybe if we hadn't killed five million people um things would be even better (laughs) <laughs> it's, it yeah. seems like it couldn't hurt. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it, it, again, they're wrong about everything. Like Kissinger in this period, everything that he said, it, like that's the amazing. He has this reputation as such an intellectual titan, and he's like so constantly fucking wrong. But the, people this will bring is, up. There's always like, yeah. It's the same as today. All of these people that are constantly fucking wrong, just yeah, keep on getting positions of power and being yeah. in media, and they're always fucking wrong. And there's this shit like people will will bring up like, well, but there's this nuclear arms treaty he helped make. And there's this like peace deal he negotiated in the Middle East and like all of these things. Like, yeah, but that was like two percent of the shit that he did. And it was largely because other people that he wanted to stay in good with were pushing for that kind of shit, too. Like Henry Kissinger, whenever he has expressed an idea that is his legitimate idea is like really, really disastrously wrong. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, fuck him. Nobody cares. <laughs> yeah, nobody cares. He's got to get to invest in Theranos still, uh, as opposed to being the one victory. Know, the one victory the we get. One taken. victory. That's why we should pardon her. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes. That really is right. Yeah. yeah. Look, you stole a lot of money, but you made Henry Kissinger Listen, look kind of stupid. We're going to release you to come up with another scheme to take more money from this bag of shit. <laughs> but you don't get to make a company anymore. But we're gonna have cameras follow you. Have, you're, think of yourself you as a <laughs> prank show. Yeah. Have you seen Punked? Okay. We're talking about Theranos Punk, but it's just yeah. every week it's for Henry just Kissinger. Kissinger. Yeah. You're gonna put on mustaches and like fake wigs, and you're just gonna try to fuck you're with them. You're telling me this is a way for me to get a longer spine? I mean, mm-hmm. I'd to get a little money. I this guess. popcorn has zero calories. I can't believe what I'm hearing. <laughs> but you, you know what's awesome about that? That story is that she's a younger female Kissinger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A hundred percent. She's like blood Kissinger. Everyone, everyone mm-hmm. was super into her, and she was just saying whatever people wanted to hear. And like, yeah, yeah. right. It, it's amazing because there's there's the 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 good grifters and the evil ones. We just finished our four parter on the czar and talked about the fact that like before Rasputin, there was another spiritualist grifter who pretended to talk oh. to like ghosts and stuff right. named Philippe, who like got a bunch of money for them, tricked the czarina into thinking she was pregnant, and then bounced with a bunch of their money. And the last thing he did before he left was like. 
I'm going to come back in another form as another spiritual healer. You should trust whatever I said. Very funny. Took all the money and ran. And when he died, it was found out that he had been paying for the mortgages and rentals of like 52 impoverished families. Ah, Like the perfect guy, like the opposite of Kissinger. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, uh, taking I, money from the czar to help poor people out. What a dude. Uh, be yeah. great if he showed up again. Hey, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, let's put that guy in front of Kissinger. <laughs> See what he can do. <laughs> so in private, Kissinger admitted already while he is doing all this, while he's a part of this big debate, you know, while he's taking the side that we should escalate in private in his conversations, he admits to his friends that Vietnam is an unwinnable disaster of a war. Man. Um, oh, my but, fucking God. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he defended it in public, though, because there was at least a 50% chance the Democrats were going to stay in power after the next election. That is unreal. And he just, he didn't want to give up on a chance of having a job. You know, oh I think my. in a lot of times you just, you do, <laughs> I, I guess he's a little different because he's such a shapeshifter. Yeah. But, you know, there. I think, and it's just the way we are, you are like, they can't just be that base evil. Yeah. He sure can't. But he, he is. <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's something I it's something I always think about with climate change is that people can't wrap yeah. their heads around the fact that there might be a significant portion of rich people in control who actually want everybody to die. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least don't care because what really matters is like maintaining their level of relative power to yeah. everyone else. They, and the they deaths know, of billions and it's just are like, but what are they going to do? Yeah. Call themselves out? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's cool. So it is cool. Obviously, and it's one of those things, I don't actually know that he really believed that Vietnam was a disaster because he may have been lying to his friends when he said that because he wants to keep like he wants to keep a bridge to the other side open, you know, like it's (laughs) impossible to say because he's fucking Henry Kissinger. Is it possible there's two Kissingers? Yes. Okay. What if there's six? Oh, I'd be amazing. And if they ever touch, Cambodia will be, oh, yep. You know what? All right. (laughs) So. The fact that Kissinger in private would be like, yeah, Vietnam, what a fuck up. And in public would be like, let me Ben Shapiro about Vietnam Let's to you. Let's win this. That really pissed off a lot of his friends, including the political scientist Hans Morgenthau. Kissinger had admitted to Morgenthau that the war was unwinnable, unwinnable, even while he continued to go on in the media and advocate expanded saturation bombing. Morgenthau found this deeply disappointing, but Henry was increasingly tailoring his public statements to the ear of a man who was already a fan of his work. Richard Milhouse Nixon. Can we get like, yeah, (laughs) some sound effects, a a lightning whips across the screen and a screen at a wolf house. In comes Um, the pterodactyl. Which we'll do a whole Nixon episode one of these days. A lot of our Kissinger series will also be about Nixon because you can't unwrap the two men, you know? You can't. Um, So there are two Kissingers. Yeah, one of them is Richard Nixon. So by the end of 1968, as the presidential race between Vice President Hubert Humphrey and former Vice President Richard Nixon heats up, Kissinger's profile had raised enough that he was seen as the frontrunner for a serious foreign policy job in either potential administration. As time went on... Either, yeah. He's got a gig no matter what, baby. It's just unbelievable. (laughs) He's the Raytheon of people. (laughs) (laughs) Can't lose. So as time goes on, though, he increasingly leans towards Nixon, which surprises his friends, whom he had told, quote, Richard Nixon is the most dangerous of all the men running to have as president. (laughs) 
<laughs> but I want him to give me a gig. But, you know? uh, I can't wait to work with him. I need job. Satan but, uh, looked yeah. like he good. <laughs> yeah. So he was heartbroken when his friend Rockefeller lost to Nixon, uh, and he commented, now the Republican Party is a disaster, and Nixon is not fit to be president. Oh this my God. I am it's Kelly, the same I'm fucking Kelly shit over and over. Mm-hmm. And oh, this is what they said about Reagan. This is what they said about Bush. This is what they said mm-hmm. about Trump. Okay. Yep. Yeah, it's always the same calculus. Uh, this is true, but Kissinger didn't let his complete contempt for Nixon stop him from trying to get a job with the man. To explain why, here's the New Yorker. It took Kissinger's close contemporary, the political theorist Sheldon Wolin, another son of Jewish immigres who fought in the war and studied at Harvard with William Yandel Elliott, to fully dissect Kissinger's careerist instincts. On the surface, Wolin observed, Kissinger would have appeared a mismatch for the anti-elitist Nixon. But the pairing was perfect. Nixon needed someone who could elevate his opportunism to a higher plane of purpose and make him feel like a great figure in the drama of history. As Wolin wrote, What could have been more comforting to that barren and inarticulate soul than to hear the authoritative voice of Dr. Kissinger, who spoke so often and knowingly about the meaning of history? Uh, I mean, (sighs) it's just an empty sack and an evil sack. And the evil sack's like, I can feel you. Yeah, well, I, I need to be evil. As long as someone can fill me. Somebody's got to fill me up. Somebody's got to load me with something. Oh, that feels Agnew's nice. not gonna do it. Put all that black pile down inside of me. Thank you, Hank. <laughs> oh boy, Gareth, he doesn't call him Hank, but we'll get to that later. Okay. <laughs> huh, come on, so, Spanky. <laughs> it's a lot worse than that, Gareth. <laughs> uh, all right. <laughs> so, in 1968, the Johnson administration was carrying out an extensive series of negotiations between South and North Vietnam in an attempt to secure an end to the war. LBJ wants credit for his legacy, right? I'm not going to give LBJ credit for, like, caring about human death and suffering, because he's also a monster, you right, know? Yeah. No, not trying to make him seem good by comparison. But he sees ending the war both as a way to, like, I want to go out on a good note, and also this is going to, if he could, if he could even secure a significant, like, ceasefire, that would help Humphrey get reelected, right? Because nobody's in the U.S. is very pro the Vietnam War. Uh, within the majority of, most voters are very anti it. So so that's kind of the play that, that LBJ is making. He wants to end the war in order to help Humphrey win. Over the course of the election year, his Secretary of State, National Security Advisor, and his Secretary of Defense, Clark Gifford, became aware that something was amiss. Some of the oh, moves God. that the South Vietnamese government made, which threatened the negotiations, seemed bizarre. They would like take these wild changes where it's like suddenly South Vietnam's not willing to negotiate. Like, what the fuck? We had like worked all this out. Why are you guys pulling out at the last minute? North Vietnam's willing to come to the table. In the trial of Henry Kissinger, Christopher Hitchens writes, quote, From his seat in the Pentagon, Clifford, who's again the Secretary of Defense, had actually been able to read the intelligence transcripts that picked up and recorded what he terms a secret personal channel between President Thieu and Saigon in the Nixon campaign. The chief interlocutor at the American end was John Mitchell, then Nixon's campaign manager and subsequently attorney general. He was actively assisted by Madame Anna Chanel, known to all as the Dragon Lady, a fierce veteran of the Taiwan lobby and all-purpose right-wing intriguer. She was a social and political force in the Washington of her day. So, LBJ's administration, this is suspicious as fuck. Let's bug the Nixon campaign, right? Which is... Not illegal, obviously, like you have, a, it is an act of fucking treason to try and extend yes. a war by sabotaging negotiations. This is one of the very few cases where like, yeah, you should wiretap those people. Yeah, you, should tap, you should tap the fuck out of those phones. 
Um, but it's also, this is, they don't want this to get, LBJ doesn't want this shit to get out at all. Um, this would be number one, a hanging crime. You get executed for doing this yeah. kind of shit, like on paper at least, right? Um, and so LBJ's administration, while they're wiretapping Nixon and getting evidence about like this, what increasingly becomes clear as a conspiracy, keeps fucking quiet about it because they're worried that revealing this would create a crisis of confidence in the American government. Oh my fucking, God. Fucking liberals. I, the, I fucking know, I know, liberals. Right? Did, this is how LBJ, many times... <laughs> How many fucking times Bush stole two elections? This is what they did. This is what yeah. they fucking did. Uh, it, it it's really, awesome. <laughs> it, it really oh. is. I mean, yeah, it's, it, just, it's just, it's, I mean, the, I, that is so fucking crazy to put the clubhouse. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, above it everything. Is, it is like the one time where if a president had had his political opponents hanged, yeah. it would be like, yeah, that's what you should have done. And the man, yeah. yes. oh, you don't have to, that one session of hangings really yeah. would have gone a long way with this country. We would be in so much a better position yeah. if they'd hung Nixon oh, and several God. other people we're about to talk about. <laughs> it would also I mean, give a Nixon good posture, finally. Yeah, finally. I, I, I knew about that Nixon had done. I did not know that the, that oh. they knew. I didn't know they knew oh, yes. at the time. Like that's oh, yes, David. fucking insane. <laughs> the, the liberal mind. I always think about this story about when the junta took over in Chile, uh, before Pinochet got into power and they asked all the, they, they said, we want to have interviews with people and the liberals so believed in government that they went and lined up for the secret police interviews because they're like, well, this is what we do. And they're like, no, they're taking your names down to possibly kill you. But they lined up because they're like, well, this is, we don't want to mess up the system. Like we're supposed to Gotta go get fair. interviewed by the government. Yeah. And you're like, it's a junta. Like it just, the mindset of just, this is how our constitution works and this is what we're supposed to do. And you're like, no, it's literally not working. The thing isn't working. This is a great, this is one of the best examples ever of yeah, that. Like, yeah, and this is the, the germ of truth in Kissinger's whole ideology about conflict is that if you are in a conflict with someone who is willing to throw down and you aren't, they're going to win, right? Like uh -huh. that is a truth of history, right? It's a truth of fighting fascists, right? It's not enough to say like punching them isn't the entirety of it, but if you're not willing to throw down, they will win, right? Um, right. And that is a thing that is often taken exactly the wrong way at, at the geopolitical level. But like you see in this that like LBJ was not willing to throw down and Nixon was and everything we're going to talk about in the rest of this series happens as a result. And it's like LBJ loved throwing down. But yes, not in the, it's amazing that he doesn't that, that, in this. Also, I think that's the craziest thing is that like. That was the fucking big dick. I'm going to take a it, shit and you're going to listen to me, guy. Like he gave no fucks and threw down with everybody. You know what I think it is, Dave? I think for all of his many, many, many flaws and evil acts committed, I think LBJ believed in things. Yeah. And Nixon and Kissinger don't. He wouldn't uh, throw yeah, down, but he yeah. would throw to ads. I oh. Robert, you <laughs> agree with that? Yeah, I would because you know LBJ was famous for whipping his dick, which he called Jumbo out at all times. He once pissed on a Secret Service agent at a party because he couldn't get to the bathroom easily enough. <laughs> that's and why like, the that's the secret. <laughs> yeah, all of our sponsors are the same, and that. <laughs> Their dicks are called Jumbo, and they do piss on the Secret Service. Every one of our sponsors pisses on the Secret Service. That's a promise. So... 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Doug Gottlieb here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making the now perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck, like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines the raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. With the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower further than ever before. Or... Check out the fully redesigned Tacoma, delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. With new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. When you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out the amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. We're back! Oh boy, good times. <laughs> so South Vietnam pulls out of the negotiations, right? I think they're happening in Paris. Uh, and I, I'm being, I haven't really gotten to detail about what happened up to this point because those details are very obscure to the American people. What is publicly avail- possible, like known is that North Vietnam and South Vietnam are supposed to come to the table, have this big negotiation to try to come to like some way in which the war can come to an end. And South Vietnam, after a bunch of like, throwing a bunch of like wrenches in the process finally just backs out entirely. Right. And so the negotiations don't happen and the war continues. That's what everybody sees. You know, if you're just like a dude paying attention on the news, that's what you're aware of happening here. Um, LBJ's administration knows something sketchy is going on between Nixon and the South Vietnamese government, but even for them, they don't know precisely what happened. 
Here's what happened. As part of the negotiations, LBJ offered the North Vietnamese a bombing halt. Now, you can see why this is very enticing for Hanoi, right? Because being bombed is not pleasant and the U.S. was doing a lot of it. Um, so this is like what LBJ is like, hey, I will fucking stop bombing Vietnam if you guys will come to the table and talk about stuff. And the North Vietnamese government, not being made entirely of soulless cockroaches, is like, well, OK, like that's a pretty good offer, actually. Yeah, um, we, we were bombing so hard. We, we actually dropped John McCain. Yeah, we, we did drop John McCain. You guys might have caught him. You can keep him for a while. Um, <laughs> he'll come back into the picture. It'll be a big problem. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He'll also, weirdly enough, be the least objectionable Republican elected leader for a long time. So it's yes. a mess. Uh, yeah. Just so you guys know, that's our future hero. Yeah, He and Jesse the Body Ventura will be the only conservative voices against torture. So yeah. heads up. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It is amazing watching that old clip of Jesse Ventura on The View being the most reasonable American in fucking early 2000s. Yeah. Yes. Um, next to Gilbert Gottfried at least. Um, (laughs) It's actually not Gilbert Gottfried, it's me in an alternative universe. So, yeah, this is a very enticing offer for Hanoi, the the bombing cessation. And it's good enough if, like, if you won't bomb us anymore, yeah, maybe we can concede on some stuff if you're not murdering people in mass. Like, yeah, of course we'll negotiate with you. Sounds pretty good. Yeah. Nixon cannot let this happen. This would be a disaster. (laughs) Vietnam not getting bombed, he sees as, like, the worst case scenario, even though he is campaigning on ending the war, by the way. Right. That's Nixon's big promise. I'm going to get us out of the... But yeah, Yeah, on my watch. That happens before. What am I campaigning on? So Nixon uses his back channel to the South Vietnamese government to get them to torpedo their end of the negotiations because the government of South Vietnam is frightened, obviously, that the U.S. is going to stop bombing North Vietnam. Um, So if you're following along, something should be obvious at this point. Since the Johnson administration was negotiating secretly with North Vietnam, there should have been no way for the government in Saigon to know that LBJ had proposed a bombing halt. But obviously, Saigon knew, which means there was a secret informant within the Johnson administration passing information to the Nixon administration and sharing a lot of top secret data with Saigon. Um, So the big question is, who could possibly be so deep into both camps that he could feed information from one to the other? Oh, (laughs) Forrest! Oh, of my God. That's right, baby! Should be executed for treason. Absolutely should be executed for treason. My God. (laughs) Slowly. Yeah. Slowly executed. Yeah. It should be that incompetent dude who hung the Nazis at Nuremberg and like kept fucking up and making it worse. Bring that dude back. Sorry, can I just do, let me try one more time before you guys get mad. We should have frozen that motherfucker in carbonite to break out when the nation needed him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's amazing. Oh, God. Oh, you guys waking me up to kill me? No, we actually, we're huge fans. Get drunk and do another hanging. We are huge fans. We've got you a handle of gin here. And uh, Mm -hmm. this is Henry Kissinger. Oh, Uh, he's great. Why would you yeah. Kissinger? Shut He's up. Awesome. Just do whatever you just kill him as fast as you can. That's the only <laughs> note. But yeah. I took a lot of notes from him back in the day. Did like, you? he's great. He's great. Just kill him. Yeah. OK, I don't think he so, could die, though. I will say I don't think that guy could read. <laughs> so obviously kissinger is the back channel um who is spreading this information now in his own memoirs nixon later admitted uh to hearing about the proposed bombing halt through what he termed as a highly unusual channel christopher hitchens continues 
It was more unusual even that he, than he acknowledged. Kissinger had until then been a devoted partisan of, of Nelson Rockefeller, the matchlessly wealthy prince of liberal republicanism. His contempt for the person and policies of Richard Nixon was undisguised. Indeed, President Johnson's Paris negotiators, led by Averill Harriman, considered Kissinger to be almost one of themselves. He had made himself helpful as Rockefeller's chief foreign policy advisor by supplying French intermediaries with their own contacts in Hanoi. Henry was the only person outside of the government that we were authorized to discuss the negotiations with, says Richard Holbrook. We trusted him. It is not stretching the truth to say that Nick, the Nixon campaign had a secret source within the U.S. negotiating team. So the likelihood of a bombing halt, wrote Nixon, came as no real surprise to me. He added, I told Haldeman that Mitchell should stay continue as liaison with his Kissinger and that we should honor his desire to keep his role completely confidential. So this is all out in the open now. We yeah, know I, I also, I mean, Nixon really just never shut the fuck up. I mean, he, he was sure just, didn't. Uh, he, he really sure just, didn't. he was like That's... the drunk guy at a party who would just sort of tell you whatever. <laughs> like, honestly, he's the guy Donald Trump might put a hand on and be like, hey man, you're yeah. saying <laughs> You should, uh, like, you're saying some stuff that you probably shouldn't right shouldn't, now, yeah, yeah. Dick. I think you might not, I think you might regret this Dick, later. slow down, you're saying a lot of stuff you probably shouldn't, and I'm on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that's so, that is just so crazy and just says it all, you know? It's and so and this is, and it's gotten worse. I mean, mm -hmm. it's yeah. just fucking bonkers. Now, the bombing halt was planned for October 23rd, but thanks to Kissinger, the Nixon campaign was able to lobby South Vietnam to increase their demands suddenly at the bargaining table, which wrecked attempted agreements being made with North Vietnam. This, you know, there's a process, this happens back and forth until the bombing halt is completely scuttled and peace negotiations fall apart. Since all this was happening behind closed doors, Humphrey never got to present the possibility of a bombing halt to the American people. Nixon avoided having to take into stance of any kind on the issue, because obviously as the peace candidate, he couldn't say you shouldn't do it, right? Right. And he didn't even want it to come up at all. Um, the Johnson administration made one final attempt to push through a bombing halt at the end of October. But the South Vietnamese government, warned by Kissinger via Nixon, preempted this with a surprise boycott of the peace talks. Now, while all this is happening, Kissinger is also advising the Humphrey campaign and oh. is so respected there that he was considered a shoe in for a senior job if they'd managed to win. Jesus There's three of them. Fucking yeah. Democrats are so fucking stupid. I know, right? There's three of them. There's three Kissingers. <laughs> no, you're, no, you're fucking, fucking Humphrey walking around. I got my buddy Henry's. I'm going to give him a good old job. I'll uh, tell that's, you what. Our, that's our buddy you're talking about, mister. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I can never get over the fact that Hillary walked around with him during the yeah. fucking campaign. It's well, amazing. he wasn't he... really walking, to be fair, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> he, he he fucking is he's like one of those episodes of Frasier where he's dating two women at the same time and yeah, trying to right. keep it no, secret he, that they're yeah. at the same restaurant like that's him like Jack Tripper <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> It's very funny except for all of the millions and millions uh, yeah. who die. Well, that, let me um, ask you that. So yeah. do you have the numbers on where the deaths were at in Vietnam? Oh, you don't even they ended up? this. Like, oh, I'll get you that. Oh, yeah, I'll God. get you that in a minute. Why did, why did I ask? <laughs> yeah, Nixon by also like grows convinced of Kissinger's value during this period of time too, and he becomes a shoe in for a senior job there. He was particularly impressed by the skill with which Kissinger protected his identity as the leaker from the Humphrey campaign. Oh. Nixon later wrote. One factor that had most convinced me of Kissinger's credibility was the length to which he went to protect his secrecy. <laughs> what a terrible... <laughs> I mean, that's just not a good personality trait. It's really he not. Is. It's actually when, not. When yeah. down is up, he, it is, but not this normally. Guy, this guy is the best double agent. He's so fucking great. He'll Boy, fucking this guy's an unbelievable shitbag liar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, honestly, it makes sense that like Nixon would be super yes. into that. Oh yeah! Wow, this guy's a real piece of shit. Holy and I'm fuck. Dick Nixon. This <laughs> this guy could lie to you. <laughs> yeah, let me tell you, as a liar. <laughs> 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 oh fuck it's it's uh, fucking it's amazing it's bad yeah. um clark clifford who would later was again the secretary of defense at the time would later blame the fact that the war did not end in 1968 and the loss of the humphrey campaign in that election on the skullduggery of the nixon campaign which was orchestrated in part by henry kissinger Quote, the activities of the Nixon team went far beyond the bounds of justifiable political combat. It constituted direct interference in the activities of the executive branch and the responsibilities of the chief executive, the only people with authority to, get, to negotiate on behalf of the nation. The activities of the Nixon campaign constituted a gross, even potentially illegal interference in the security affairs of the nation by private individuals. Which is the polite political wonk way of saying it. In the book Kissinger's Shadow, Greg Grandin is even more pointed. The fact that Kissinger participated in an intrigue that extended the war for five pointless years, oh. seven if you count the fighting between the 1973 oh. Paris Peace Accords and the 1975 Fall of Saigon, is undeniable. Adding to the evidence is Kissinger himself. He's been caught on tape twice on recordings recently released, admitting he passed on useful information to Nixon. Jesus Christ. My yeah. God. It's like killing him isn't enough. No, no, he should be he should I, be gibbeted. I said so. Yeah. We need to bring back gibbeting and just hang that motherfucker somewhere in a in a nice cage box. Like, yeah, leave him out there. Leave him out. There. Let people pelt him with stuff. Yeah, fuck. Let's yeah. kill him by yeah. throwing potatoes at him. <laughs> you got to make <laughs> sure they're potatoes, soft, right? Because yeah. he's not that strong anymore, and you want it right. to last a Boiled while. Potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we'll talk a bit later about how we got caught on tape and why we know about all of this, because that's a fun story, guys, uh, and involves a different series of crimes. But Grandin makes another point that's worth acknowledging here. While Kissinger definitely had inside information from the Johnson campaign, which he passed on, he also didn't have as much information as he pretended to know when he talked to the Nixon campaign. Oh, Jesus Quote, Christ. even with access to Johnson's negotiating instructions, he couldn't have had exact information about the decisions being made at the White House. He had to have been winging it, at least to some degree, guessing at what others knew, imagining what others would do with that guess, playing the angle, sussing out the chance, all while giving the appearance of composure and certainty. He was right-winging what? it. I mean, well, just what a... Yeah. <laughs> what? No. what an absolute fucking psychopath. Uh, like, yeah. that's the kind of shit... Like he said, if you're dating two women, you're trying to figure it out and get through some stinky situation, but he's doing this with fucking Vietnam yeah. and two presidential campaigns. I don't... The yeah. craziness, the absolute lack of a soul is oh, astounding. Yeah. He is pure blackness inside. Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, 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 Dave, let me push back for a second. I uh, know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, God. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, you can't. I mean, it's 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 hard it's, to even speak to it because it's like the to look, I'll kill five people for a job. But mm -hmm. at some point you have I think to up be to like, five is normal. Sure. Yeah, yeah. that's regular. <laughs> Yeah, but but to to let I mean to just I don't know I it's he, it is he killed he killed I mean how many Vietnamese died after that like so many yeah, about, yeah. we're uh, talking uh, uh, you know was it like a million died in the whole war or is it more than uh, a million? no I mean it, it is because you also have to include the people who died in um, Cambodia right. and Cambodia. Laos. 
and in in Vietnam. We're, we're going to get into more of this in episode three, but conservatively, an additional couple of million deaths Jesus as a result of this. Christ. In addition to an additional 20,000 US dead. Um, it's kind of hard the death toll to get precise, but yeah, like a sure. couple million, like in the millions a of additional million. dead. Be- because Continuing to this day, by the way, because yes. like yeah, it, I was just yeah. going to say, people yeah, still right. die. Because yeah. he wanted a job. Yeah, because he wanted a gig. <laughs> he's essentially lying in a job yeah. interview like he would if you were had no uh, fast food experience and were Del yeah. Taco, except millions of people are dying. Yeah, it's awesome. <gasps> Holy, the, the crazy <laughs> He's thing. such a bad person. Uh, it's, it's, the, <laughs> the, the, the crazy thing, the, the thing you've done here is you've, you've, you've humanized the situation for me. Yeah. Because, like, I, I can understand that, that there's evil people out there and they do stuff. Like, they, yeah. they want to bomb Cam, uh, Cambodia, they want to do this other stuff. But when you take it to a level where it's a guy winging it in a meeting, it takes on a whole different flavor of evil that is something, because now that's something we can all understand. We've all been in a situation where we're like, ah, yeah, this guy did a thing, and then I did a thing, and you're just trying to get through a situation. Yeah. We've all experienced that. None of us have experienced giving the green light to, you know, dropping bombs and killing people, but... That I get, and I feel in my bones of like, well, holy shit, but you're doing that with millions of people's lives on the line. It is it is this thing where the idea I had always had before I really got into him was that like, well, he you know, he was involved in all of these horrible things that I knew he was involved in. But like, I assumed it was from a wonky perspective of like, he believed strongly in the need to fight these wars and that anything was justified. And so he did these horrible things because he believed we were in this like civilizational struggle and certain things were necessary in that. And like, he had all of these different kind of very complex moral beliefs that he wrote dozens of books about explaining why he did the things. At the end of the day, no motherfucker wanted a gig. Yeah. (laughs) And by the way, it's not like he would have been out of politics. Like, like, even in his downtime, he was like, you know, he was gigging. Like, it's just yeah. like he would have been patiently waiting like, for he, another administration or he would have been working this. in LB, whatever. Like, you know, no, he, he didn't, he didn't want to work at Uncle Chuckle Fox. Yeah. He didn't want to work at Uncle Chuckle Fox. He wanted the, the gig at Charlie Goodnights. Like, he's I want to work yeah. in the Premier Club. It's unreal. Yeah. Like, he, he, he literally, like, did the, he, like, that's the thing. He didn't just do this for a job. He did this for, like, one of the two jobs and the one he kind of didn't want as much. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the guy, yeah. Un, yeah. Un, un, fucking conscionable. Yeah, it's really hard to like, it, it is hard in like, it, it's, I think it's easier to understand now what he did. It's hard to like judge him adequately in moral terms that are even like comprehensible because it's so much out yeah, there. Yeah, it's hard like, to process. It, it really is one of those like, say what you will about the tenets of nihilism, dude, at least it's an ethos moments where yeah. it's like, I'm thinking about like people like fucking Saddam or whatever, where it's like, yeah, that was a piece of shit. There were definitely some things he believed though. Yeah. Like, yeah. like there, there's pieces of shit out like fucking out there who like there are things they believe yeah and kissinger just believes he should be close to power kissinger and, yeah his, yeah his yeah political like a, doctrine was kissinger he's like i'm really smart i should be in the top game and yeah uh, i just want to be there it's awesome yeah I like, I like how he thinks his childhood didn't fuck with him yeah yeah like <laughs> dude bro, bro, bro. yeah what you know it'd be even better if he if all of this was happening and it was just because like he 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 was like, I know I can get so many more chicks if I'm in the White House. Yeah. Because that was the whole reason for it. He's just like, I just want to get laid. Look, it is not a non-factor. <laughs> Wait, is he, is he married right now or is he single? 
Oh, it, Lord, point, who knows? Uh, he's, I mean, yeah, story, I think he gets married at some point, but he's also like, you know, well, I don't know, actually. He's kind of like a bachelor dude. We'll talk about that later. I'm, I'm still right. working on those episodes because um, th- there's a whole thing to be said about Kissinger and women and sex appeal. Um, he gets. He was married. He, twice. Yeah, he definitely was married at points, but he's also like kind of a playboy. Um, oh, God. I'm we'll be we'll go back in time a little bit and talk about some of that later. He, w- he was married. His first his first marriage was 1949 to 1964. Oh. So I don't think he's. And then yeah. he's not remarried again until 74. Yeah, so that I don't think right. he's married right. in this little hub. Yeah. I wonder why she left him. Yeah, I wonder. Any ideas? <laughs> yeah. No idea. So he's the only I, guy who who comes black. Mm-hmm. I haven't written the episode yet, but I have several pages of people talking about Henry Kissinger's sex appeal on the news that are real, real blackpilling, as the kids say. Oh, oh my god. Yeah. Not good. So uh, Nixon wins the 68 election. Obviously, he gets inaugurated in 1969. The Vietnam War continues on for half a decade ish. Uh, This was an almost incalculable humanitarian tragedy, as well as disastrous for the future stability and cohesion of the United States. But it was dope as hell for Henry Kissinger, who was swiftly appointed Nixon. (laughs) Yeah. Like to put out there that my uncle went to Vietnam and it totally, you know, he had to kill a lot of people and it totally fucking ruined his life. And he watched friends die and stuff. So thank you, Richard Nixon. Thank you, Richard. Nixon. <laughs> Everybody yeah. who went to Vietnam after 68, say a thank you to Richard uh, for Nixon yeah. and Kissinger for, um, you know, all of the trauma and the trauma that in some cases some of you passed on to your family members um, yeah. and the trauma that has been passed on societally based on our attitudes towards war because of how Vietnam went and the ways in which yep. some people were always looking for a rematch and it got us into other, you know, yep. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Really good stuff. <laughs> good stuff. <laughs> Imagine if, like, that had been the end of Vietnam, that, like, there was actually a a president realized, you know, the foolishness of a conflict and we went to the table and, like, negotiations were made and... and I don't think, uh, I don't think the first Iraq war happens. The the base of Panama doesn't happen. You would think that for how long Vietnam dragged on, that that would have actually been a lesson to not go into conflicts, you know, aimless conflict. Yeah. So I guess no. no. (laughs) I guess the problem is we're thinking there people should learn lessons. Yeah. (laughs) Leaving countries. Well, that war is in any way like a moral decision or like actually comes from a place of actual, you know. Uh, savior mentality, anything like that. You know? Yeah, it's good stuff. It's so great. getting this appointment uh, as national security advisor required a lot more politicking from Kissinger, uh, including spreading rumors to Nixon before his inauguration that Johnson planned to either depose or kill the president of South Vietnam before he left office. Kissinger oh. pushed this rumor to the president-elect via regular Bastards Pod side character and Rhodesia enthusiast, enthusiast William F. Buckley. Uh. <laughs> Buckley's his middleman <laughs> to lie to Nixon. Uh, <laughs> the translator. Yeah, yeah, good old William F. Buckley, <laughs> whose son went on to write, un- honestly, a pretty fun book. Um, but we don't need to think too much about that. Wow. Um, great Aaron Eckhart performance in the movie. Mm. So... Nixon appreciated Kissinger's chutzpah and connections enough that when he put him at the head of the National Security Council, he ordered the professor to reorganize it in order to take foreign policy control away from the state and defense departments. 
This means that Nixon gave Kissinger it was very close to a blank check to take total control of U.S. foreign policy. Uh, Obviously, Nixon wanted this because he was a paranoid control freak. He did not want any kind of separation of powers. He certainly did not want to have a secretary of state who could like do things that Nixon might not be explicitly ordering. But the result of this was that Kissinger found himself in a position where he could exercise near absolute power in foreign policy as long as the president kept liking him. Oh, God. Just as Kissinger had little love for Nixon, our buddy Dick Milhouse was not particularly warm to his new right-hand man. Now, you had given a couple of... um, Spanky, Hank. Yeah, you want to know what his real nickname for Kissinger was? Jew boy. Oh, my God. (laughs) Jesus Christ. I mean, it's Nixon. It is Nixon, but it's like... I mean, I thought we would be jumping off of the name a little bit. He's just yeah. like, what am I going to call you? Spanky Hank? No. Little Jew boy. <laughs> uh, Jesus Good Lord. Christ. And again, it says a lot about Henry Kissinger that he's like, yeah, right. That's pretty good. Yeah, he, he just wants to be there. Very like, funny, uh, sir. Very yeah. funny. Did okay, I mention our childhood has no effect on me today? <laughs> nah, whatsies? <laughs> <laughs> so there must have been an element of Nixon then who knew what an ass-kissing little bitch he was. Oh, yeah. Because he's, he's belittling yeah. him to his face. Oh, yeah. And no, knowing it, he'll stick around. It's why you get hired for these jobs, because mm-hmm. it's just like it's not, you, you know, an an empty vacuum who is going to be your right hand man is still, you know, there's security in that. There's uh, there's yeah. secrecy in that. He's like yeah. a vacuum, Gareth, and that he'll suck Nixon's dick. But he's also like a toilet and that he'll take Nixon's shit. You know, that's Henry Kissinger. <laughs> He's a blumpkin. He's a uh, dick sucking toilet. <laughs> he's a human. He's one of those. Human blumpkin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like the Toto toilet is pretty effective, but have you ever had a dick sucking toilet? <laughs> the shit or come either way. I'm ready for it, baby. <laughs> Henry Kissinger. Sophie, can the title be Henry Kissinger dick sucking toilet? <laughs> It's also pretty. Okay, we got it, Nick. Speaking, I do draw the line. Speaking of dick sucking toilets, it is time for a commercial break. (laughs) (laughs) That is who sponsors our podcast. Uh. Raytheon's new dick sucking toilet. Well, (laughs) it it is gonna fire a missile at a busload of children, but. That's no. that's just the Raytheon, you know, we, we can't avoid it. We're yeah, contractually no. obligated. Yeah. It, yeah, it's how it works. Mm-hmm. So uh, Nixon ap- announced Kissinger's appointment as the national security advisor before he had even picked a secretary of state, which is an unprecedented move. He announced Henry as, quote, and this is again in his like public announcement to the country, as, quote, a man who is known to all people who are interested in foreign policy is perhaps one of the major scholars in America and the world in this area. And he acknowledged that while Kissinger had never held a full-time government job before, he had Nixon's confidence to bring in a whole new foreign policy team, quote, new men to develop new ideas. Now, the conservative media of the day immediately roared into gear, hailing Henry Kissinger as an unprecedented policy genius, the man necessary to get America back on track after nearly a decade of disastrous war under Democratic presidents. William F. Buckley wrote, not since Florence Nightingale has any public figure received such universal acclamation. (laughs) Why you gotta ruin her? (laughs) Fucking William F. Buckley, you piece of shit. (laughs) Compared it with Florence Nightingale. Florence Nightingale. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's amazing. (laughs) 
But even ostensibly liberal figures were wooed by Kissinger's supposed titanic intellect. In Henry Kissinger and American Power, Thomas Schwartz writes, The liberal historian Arthur Schlesinger Jr. simply referred to it as the best appointment so far. The New York Times columnist Tom Wicker noted the collective sigh of relief that went up from the liberal Eastern establishment and the Ivy League. Fearing Nixon's Cold Warrior image, most shared in the sentiment of Kissinger's Harvard colleague Adam Yarmolinsky. We'll all sleep a little better each night knowing Kissinger is down there. You mean in the toilet getting ready to suck dick. <laughs> yes. you know, it, again, it's exactly it, what happened with Trump, and, right? And, yes, and it, yeah. it's it's like, it's the way that, I mean, again, it's people's natural reaction is normally kind of there. It's just the, the fears are assuaged by people who they consider to be, you know, the 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 compass, and they're just not. And so when, they, when you're told that there are the good guys inside the bad camp, it's like, it's just never fucking true. It is rot from the core. Yeah, and it is. It, these liberals are also con, are also impressed by him and so comforted by him because they think he's smart. Because he's good at quoting smart dead people, right? Yeah. It is the same thing that happened with Mattis. Mattis, thankfully, is not nearly as toxic a person as Henry Kissinger. But like, if you actually look at Mattis's background, one of the things he did in the Iraq War was cover up a war crime. Yeah, right. Like, he's not a not a man to be like. I mean, and he he was like he he was very popular among like people who served under him, which is part of like why there was this kind of collective relief. But it's this idea that he's like the warrior monk, right? Yeah. They love the idea that like, well, this guy who's president is a maniac, but this dude reads books that he hired, so that'll yeah. it'll be okay. Well, and it's as like, you continue, no, it's never okay. As you continue yeah. to lower the bar more and more, you're obvious. Like the people that you're bringing back are part of a lowered bar, but mm -hmm. because the bar is even lower, it seems and feels a little higher. But it is yeah. all just. It's this, just total is, this is exactly what happened with Colin Powell, who yes, was a fucking yeah. evil. We did a that's dollop it, on him. Exactly, evil yeah, yeah. fucking monster. Person. Yeah, covered up fucking the massacres in in fucking Vietnam. That's like when he started out, like terrible human being. But the press did the same shit. If you can quote old books. And smile, and you're willing to give journalists time. They will talk about you as being the secret, reasonable por person yeah. within the war crimes party. Right. You know, like that's all it takes. Yeah. It's great. It's, it's just really the same cool. thing as if you're a Nazi who reads books, you can get a New York Times profile. Yes, you know? or like, dress nicely. Yeah, yeah, or you'll get on sixty minutes or whatever. You know, um, it's it's don't trust people who want you to think they're smart. Yep. That's never a good sign. Smart pe it's the same th it's the same thing with like people who want and you to believe they're dangerous. If they want you to believe something specific about them, they're lying about it. That's how people work. And how about And, and if a if a doctor wants to get on the news to talk about COVID and be famous on the news, that's actually not a doctor you should listen to. Not a great guy. No. But also, I mean, it's you know, it's from the same publications and the same networks it the idea yes. that you continue to listen to these sources about what is right and what is wrong just because they have fancy terms like senior policy advice it's like it's all fucking it's it's days of our lives it's mm -hmm. they're actors these are teleprompters yeah. Yeah, and they don't know any more than you about anything that matters as a general rule. Every now and right. then you get, but like even like within agencies that are heavily like medical oriented, like the CDC, where you would expect them to have a lot of specialized knowledge, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to do a good job. But, but like <laughs> yep. the, New York, say that the much. New York Times yeah. li comfortably lied about Iraq. Yeah, it's it's not great. So 
Uh, During the transition from the Johnson to Nixon administration, U.S. military command began to act under what General Creighton Abrams described as a total war mindset against the infrastructure of the Viet Cong insurgency. This began with a six-month operation to clear the Mekong Delta, codenamed Operation Speedy Express. This would prove to be the first major military operation that both Nixon and Kissinger oversaw, and it was a titanic bloodbath. There is a good article on this operation in The Nation, and the title of the article is A My Life a month. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's oh bad. Oh my god. Yeah. Now, the My Lai Massacre had occurred in 1968, before Nixon or Kissinger were in power. You know, that ain't on them. Uh, and Seymour Hersh didn't, like, break the story until 69, which is the year that they come to power. And this slaughter of 500 civilians by U.S. troops was horrific enough. But within a few months of taking power, Speedy Express had exceeded it many times. Quote from The Nation. An inkling that something terrible had taken place in the Mekong Delta appeared in a most unlikely source, a formerly confidential September 1969 senior officer debriefing report by none other than the commander of the 9th Division, then Major General Julian Ewell, who came to be known inside the military as the Butcher of the Delta because of his single-minded fixation on body count. In the reports, copies of which were sent to Westmoreland's office and to other high-ranking officials, Ewell candidly noted that while the 9th Division stressed the discriminate and selective use of firepower in some areas of the Delta, where this emphasis wasn't applied or wasn't feasible, the countryside looked like the Verdun battlefields, the site of a notoriously bloody World War I battle. That December, a document produced by the National Liberation Front sharpened the picture. It reported that between December 1st, 1968 and April 1st, 1969, primarily in the Delta provinces of Qianhua and Din Tuang, the 9th Division launched an express raid and mopped up many areas, slaughtering 3,000 people, mostly old folks, women, and children, and destroying thousands of houses, hundreds of hectares of fields and orchards. But like most NLF reports of civilian atrocities, this one was almost certainly dismissed as propaganda by U.S. officials. A United Press International report that same months in month in which U.S. advisors charged the division with having driven up the body count by killing civilians with helicopter gunships and artillery was also largely ignored. And it, it, it because they're saying they're soldiers that they're shooting from right. a distance well, on helicopters and, and then they now. justify like yeah. Colin Powell justified it by saying, well, they're uh, they're providing food for yeah. the enemy. So there's no difference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the time Speedy Express comes to an end, U.S. forces had killed more than 10,000 people. The Jesus. vast majority of these were claimed to have been insurgent fighters. But extensive mop-up operations after the fact found less than 800 weapons on all these bodies. Maybe they I shared. Mean, that <laughs> is fucking crazy. Yeah. I mean, uh, like, we can't even frame them competently. No. No. And and also remember, you're taking guys that you drafted. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, to do this. Yeah. I mean, like you said with your uncle. I mean, it it is. It's like the generational ripple through that and the lifetime. You know what? What it does? It. It ruins. I mean, yeah. uh, Just it's it's pretty beyond who dies, who doesn't live again. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and what, yeah, what do people take back with them? Um, now, it is fair and necessary to note that this began in the December before Nixon and Kissinger took office. This is not entirely on them. Some of the blame for this goes on the LBJ administration as well, obviously. But it continued under them. This paragraph, written by Christopher Hitchens, gives you some idea of the savagery of what occurred in the early days of the Nixon administration's control of the Vietnam War. 
The people who still live in pacified Kienhoa all have vivid recollections of the devastation that American firepower brought to their lives in early 1969. Virtually every person to whom I spoke had suffered in some way. There were 5,000 people in our village before 1969, but there were none in 1970, one village elder told me. The Americans destroyed every house with artillery, airstrikes, or by burning them down with cigarette lighters. About 100 people were killed by bombing, others were wounded, and others became refugees. Many were children killed by concussion from the bombs, which their small bodies could not withstand stand even if they were hiding underground so nixon's plan at the beginning you know when his people had derailed the peace negotiations in 68 was that he would win election and then make peace with with vietnam right then he's Mm going to do the thing that he promised to do Mm -hmm. but it swiftly became clear that peace was a messy prospect one of the things he's worried about is that like well if we withdraw from with vietnam the saigon government's probably going to fall right because they're we're just barely propping up this shitty d- dictatorship. Um, and that'll be, it'll make me look weak, right? And and so I can't do it because it'll make me look weak. Yeah, if give I me one beer Saigon. and then I'll quit drinking. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then I won't win re-election in 1972. And so, that's yeah, unacceptable. I mean, there, yeah. and that, and that I mean, obviously keeps going over and over again. Like, it, it's, yeah. you get into office and then you're like, well, what about re-election? Instead of going like the best yeah. direction for... It, it is one of the few things I'll give Biden some credit for because he had the same calculus with Afghanistan. A lot of criticisms to make about the pullout from Afghanistan, but he did not make the same decision Nixon and Kissinger did. He did fucking no. get out. And it would have yeah, been easier. Yeah. yeah. I would like to be, have a much more darker outlook on that. And I say mean, it's, that yeah, it's, he, he, too. he knew yeah. that uh, Ukraine was, was kicking off because that's been kicking off since um, he actually won the election. Uh, but you know, it it, it was it, it, Zelensky was largely for peace until t- all of a sudden Biden got elected, and then he flipped, and now he's like, I want NATO and all this shit. So, uh, you know, if you can pull out of Afghanistan, if you know there's another area cooking up, not that yeah, I'm I mean, negative we'll on that see. shit, but yeah, yeah, it's probably too complicated to want to get into here um, because that, that's a whole another several. It's a fucking episodes shit. worth of stories. It's a yeah. shithole of just unbelievable garbage all over the place. Yeah, so withdrawing from Vietnam means Saigon is going to fall, like the government's going to fall, and that will be bad in the 72 elections, and it might push Kissinger and Nixon out of power. Neither of them can accept this. And this description of a meeting from December 1970 by H.R. Haldeman shows Kissinger's role in pulling back from peace. Kissinger came in, and the discussion covered some of the general thinking about Vietnam and the uh, president's big peace plan for the next year, with Kissinger later, which Kissinger later told me he does not favor. He thinks that any pullout from next year would be a serious mistake because the adverse reaction to it could set in well before the 72 elections. He favors instead a continued winding down and then a pullout right at the fall of 72, so that if any bad results follow, they will be too late to affect the n- election. Ah. Yeah. And it's, mm. you I know. Mean, that, that's what our wars always are. They're all about. Yeah. Uh, they're all about elections. They fucking always are. It's, you know, I mean, they're, they're, yeah, it, it, this led to Republicans thinking that, you know, they had to get war back on track at some point. Yeah. But, and it's, you know, uh, it, it's always, yeah. it's, it's never, it, it never works. Like it, it's, it's just such a crazy idea. And you also like people are watching body bags go home. Like it, no one's happy about anything that's going on. No. And it, um, this they just kind of I mean that's part of why it keeps going is um yeah. this kind of craven knowledge that like well the worst thing that could happen is we don't get reelected yeah at no point is he thinking about any of the human beings involved even any of the American human beings be- involved it's just like well 
we can't be losing re-election, you know? Imagine if Kissinger was damaged from his childhood, how bad things would get. <laughs> <laughs> it could be really um, bad. And it's like, you know, actually, when we talk about the story of like American presidents making craven political decisions, one of the reasons FDR did not approve more effort being taken to evacuate Jewish refugees from Germany is he did not want to be seen as pro-Jew. Oh, Jesus of The socialist Christ. policies and stuff that were going through, he knew that that could hurt him. There were a number of other reasons, but like, yeah, they're like, they did not, that is like, there is, there were things that were done that led to the U.S. government saving fewer Jewish people from the Holocaust that were done for craven political reasons by the FDR administration. Let me hear this Kaiser pitch again. It actually yeah, is so <laughs> big hat. I love Gareth, the hat. Biggest idea. hat you've ever seen. I'm big Very the spiky. Hat. Now, loves his mom's hands, but. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. So the fun thing about this episode is that everything we're going to talk about in part three is even worse because in part three, we're going to talk about fucking Cambodia. Um, So. Woo. Yay. You guys want to plug anything after my ears? (laughs) Three hours. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm going to be I'm going to be in a toilet uh, trying to get clean. Uh, you can uh, go uh, to the do- do- go to dollopodcast.com for tour information and um, <laughs> my website's garethreynolds.com I'm on tour but not like tours of duty just like stand up yeah. and podcast tours um, with the aim you of kill? bringing joy you to kill, people though? I don't want to talk like that anymore Dave um, you just slaughter and, when you're up uh, there. Dave, shut your fucking mouth. <laughs> and uh, you can just listen to the last time I Last time I saw you do a set, you just fucking murdered the whole fucking shut crowd. Shut your fucking like, face. Just... <laughs> like Not the only way did you kill that crowd, Vietnam. you left unexploded ordinance in the no, crowd that no, they then no. tripped over <laughs> that later. That should have been over 15 minutes earlier. <laughs> and like with unexploded ordinance in Laos, 40% of the people who loved your jokes after the set ended were children. <laughs> no more. There'll be no more relating. There'll be no more correlating. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that's uh, part two. You got two more weeks of Henry Kissinger ahead of you folks. So strap in. Gets a lot uglier. Uh, but also, we'll be talking about his sex life. So, you know, uh, a lot uglier. I was going to say something to look forward to, but like not, not really. really. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Come back next week for more of the dick sucking toilet, Henry Kissinger. <laughs> well, that's a pretty good title. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sophie's not happy with it. No, Sophie's not on board. I don't love it, but you know. All right. Hi, everybody. Robert Evans here, and my novel, After the Revolution, is available for pre order now from akpress.org. Now, if you go to akpress.org, you can find After the Revolution. Just Google akpress.org, After the Revolution. You'll find a list of participating indie bookstores selling my book. And if you pre order now from either of these independent bookstores or from AK Press, you'll get a custom signed copy of the book, which I think is pretty cool. You can also pre-order it in physical or in Kindle form from Amazon or pretty much wherever books are sold. So please Google AK Press after the revolution um, or find an indie bookstore in your area and pre-order it. You'll get a signed copy and you'll make me very happy. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. 
the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota. Let's go places.